Pretty awesome, huh? Isn't his voice something? It's like, it's just cooler. Scottish is just cooler. It just is. So here we are, fifth straight week. We're in Romans 9, so grab your Bibles. Romans 9. Romans chapter 9. And uh, we're going to finish this chapter out. It's been quite a journey. And as we start verse 30 today, there's somewhat of a change in direction, uh, a change in emphasis. Everything is connected, of course, especially the way that Paul the Apostle writes. But there's somewhat of a shift here. And I appreciated the way uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones separated these two sections out. And I think it might be helpful uh, in a brief way to just summarize what's happening. He says that basically Romans 9, 6 through 29 provides insight into how anyone is saved. Romans 9, 6-29 says how anyone is saved. It's on the basis of sovereign mercy according to the purposes of God in election. That's what we saw. But now we see the next section goes in somewhat of a connected but different direction. He says that Verses 30 and following, ones we're going to talk about today, answer the question, how is anyone lost? Do you see the difference there yet connected? How is anyone saved? And today we turn to verse 30 and we ask the question, how is anyone lost in their sin? Let's take a look at these verses, verses 30 through 33. Paul says, what shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. This is the Word of God. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. In November 2012, the state of Indiana launched a new lottery game called Cash Five. It's simple, really. You pick five numbers, and if you get two of them right, you win some dough. Pretty simple, right? If you get three, you get a little bit more dough. If you get four, you get the point here. They do this every single day. You can imagine over the last six years, somebody playing it every single day, every single day, without fail. It's their favorite game, and they keep playing it day in and day out. They're all in on Cash 5, but they never win, and they never have won. Day after day, no luck. And then imagine some guy by the name of Herbie Shehorn, let's say it together, Herbie Shehorn, going into a quick stop store in Evansville, Indiana, and he's going to buy tickets for his favorite game, 
10 bucks in mega millions. And all you Baptists are like, I, I, don't, I, I don't do that. I don't play mega millions. So how do we do? Yeah, okay, nobody's calling you out today. Don't worry. Nobody's calling you out. So he goes in. He wants to play mega millions, a different lottery game. And he walks out assuming that's exactly what he did. Later on that day, he looks at his ticket a little bit closer, and he realizes that these are not Mega Millions tickets. That stinking clerk messed the whole thing up. And sure enough, later that evening, as the cash five numbers were read, one, two, three, four, five, seven hundred and three thousand five hundred and eight dollars he won on a game he never intended to play. Interesting. Amazing, life-changing story for Herbie. Not looking to play Cash 5 at all. And sure enough, in the end, while he wasn't looking forward to pursuing it, never intended to buy that ticket, he cashes out at $703,508. Boom. And amazing as that is, you could imagine how offended and frustrated the other lady might be play it every single day, day in and day out, with no luck. It just doesn't seem right. And so here in verse 30 and 31, we get a similar conclusion, an unexpected uh, answer to this. What shall we say then? That those who did not pursue righteousness successfully received it. The Gentiles, Right? What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But in contrast, those who pursued righteousness, or at least a law that would lead to righteousness, they were all in, going after it. Those that pursued it, uh, pursued it did not attain it. The Jews. You could imagine how they might feel about that. Might frustrated they might be. They went after this all of their lives, pursuing righteousness in the law, and in the end, they did not receive it. And these people who could have been just about as morally debased as possible, who never had any concern for the, for the righteousness of God, have, have received it? How could this be? How could this be the end? How could this be the work of God? What is going on here? Why does Paul say that those who pursued righteousness failed to attain it? That's the question here. The Jews. Why did this happen? How could this be? And he gives us the answer. The Jews did not receive the righteousness they pursued because they did so in the wrong way. They pursued righteousness in the wrong way. Right there, we come to the realization that Righteousness must be received in the right way. You can run a race the fastest, but if you're going the wrong way, you don't win. This actually happened in the Venice 2017 marathon, where the six leaders of the race were running and winning and way out ahead. And they just kept following uh, the motorist, who they assumed would take them to the finish line. But towards the end of the race, out of nowhere, the motorcade took a right and took them 
hundreds of meters away from the course. And then out of nowhere, the dude who was in seventh place ended up winning the race. People say, well, how would he feel? He would feel great. <laughs> hey, you want to win, right the, run the right way, pal. It's not my fault. That's what happened. If you don't run the right way, it doesn't matter how fast you're running. You don't win. And that's what happened here, that they were pursuing the right end. They were pursuing the right thing. But it's not just needed to pursue the right thing, but to pursue the right thing in the right way. And they did not do that. They failed. The text says that they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. The Jews ran after the right goal, but they ran after it the wrong way. They worked hard. They pressed on. They pursued the law. But in the end, they went the wrong way and they lost. They failed miserably in this regard. Really, all of us who do so fail as well. No matter how zealous or impressive our attempt, if we pursue a right standing with God, if we pursue righteousness on the basis of our own good works, we will fail to obtain it. We have to hear that this morning. If we, no matter how uh, impressive it may be relative to other people, no matter how devoted we are to doing the right thing, that if in any way, shape, or form, we approach God in our righteous standing before Him, and we have any sense of our own works coming into the equation, being accepted by Him, we will fail to obtain it. We will not have it. You must receive righteousness in the right way. Don't miss that this morning. I don't want you to assume that you are doing so, the right thing in the right way. It's necessary for us to pursue righteousness. Really, better said, to receive righteousness the right way. If you don't, you stumble over the stumbling stone. Look at verse 32. They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. What happened? They stumbled over over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Back to Isaiah 8 and chapter uh, 28, where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying that he's going to place in Zion his, the city of his people. He's going to place in Zion a stumbling stone, a foundational stone that will become a stumbling block for his people at least Jews. The gospel says, and we've looked at this the last uh, eight chapters, right? The gospel says that Jesus does it all, that he is perfect, that he is righteous, and that really we approach him just freely receiving something that he has already done for us. And so for many of you here who are striving after, who feel the need to constantly perform and to seek after God's approval, this is wonderful news to hear. That this carrot of righteousness is not hung out there for you by God. That you just keep trying harder and doing better. That someday maybe you'll get there. 
No, that's not the gospel at all. In fact, the gospel is quite contrary to that. The gospel says the care has already been achieved by Christ. He has it, and he freely offers it to you. He gives it to you. And all that we do is receive what he has done. That is the wonderful nature of the gospel. That's what we've been talking about for eight chapters, that Christ is all, he has done all, and he is enough. But the Jews of the day did not see Jesus that way. They approached righteousness through the works of the law, not the works of Christ. Matter of fact, they rejected him to the extent that they put him on a cross and crucified him. They rejected the very fulfillment of the promises that God had made to them. And so, approaching their right standing with God on the basis of their works, the right thing to pursue, but on the basis of their works, the wrong way. They stumbled. They, they tripped. They're, they were running the race. And that final hurdle, their foot just caught. And they fell flat on their face. And they could not get up. They stumbled over Jesus. It's their pride and their self-righteousness. It's really what we see in the next couple verses. They could not see a freely given righteousness. The righteousness of Christ and His alone to be sufficient and to be necessary for their right standing with God. But I want each and every one of you here today to hear this. That the, a right standing with God is something that you should be concerned about more than anything else in your life. It is the most pressing issue. But understand this, it must be received in the right way. If it is not received in the right way, if it's approached in any way, shape, or form on the basis of your own merit or your own works, you being a good person, especially in relationship to other people, you will stumble and fall. And you will find yourself not in a right standing with a righteous God. And that is of critic, I mean, that is so important for us here at this congregation that we're crystal clear on this. Eternity is at stake. This is no small matter. We're running a race. And if we don't run in the right direction, we will stumble and fall. And still, as we hear this, maybe similar to culture today, in our pride, we, we still stumble over this. or We have a hard time with this. And people today do that. They stumble over the cross of Jesus. They consider it to be ridiculous. Unthinkable. That someone else's work or action would be sufficient and therefore uh, transferred righteousness given over to us from them. That seems crazy. And Robert Mount says this, he says, what was true in Paul's day remains true today. Sinners still reject the righteousness of God because they cannot earn it. They stumble over the offer because it deprives them of any proprietary involvement in their own salvation. It is pride that brings people down. How deeply ingrained is our rebellious self-esteem? Too proud to accept God's willingness to forgive. Sinners stumble headlong into eternity with their stubborn sinfulness intact. 
It's a strong word, but I think true and reflective of people today. John Stott says it another way. He says, to make this humiliating confession, a confession that one must simply trust in Christ's work to provide righteousness. That This is a humiliating confession, he says. That is an, an intolerable offense to our pride. So instead of humbling ourselves, we stumble over this stumbling stone. That to pursue righteousness in the right way requires a shift in approach. That we must not uh, come to God for righteousness in our own self of self-righteousness and pride. But we must humble ourselves before Him and recognize that we need Him. All of Him. Not just some of Him or also Him plus our merit. But we need all of Him for all of us to be right before the Father. But those who do not stumble are those who humbly recognize that they bring nothing to the table. Amen? They admit that they weren't even pursuing righteousness at all. They were not even seeking after God as we read in Romans chapter 3 and 2. They were altogether lost in their sins and their rebellion. But God found them. You may have seen the movie Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce. I don't know. I haven't. I don't know what that means, but, but I read about this. You know? Supposedly, there's a scene in the movie where Wilberforce is found by his butler praying. And the butler says to Wilberforce, I see you have found God. And Wilberforce says, what? No, I think he found me. Right? That we humbly recognize that we weren't really seeking after God at all. We weren't pursuing Him. But in the midst of our sin and our rebellion, that God found us. And that really all of our salvation is a work that He has done for us in bringing us to Himself, in giving us the righteousness that we need. It's all been a work of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe I'm transferring my experience on yours. But I wasn't looking for God at all. I wasn't interested in the things of God at all. I was hurt and I was angry, very young. I was anxious, yes. But I was not looking for God at all. And in the hearing of the gospel message, in the hearing of the preached word, being dragged into church by my parents, really my mother to be specific, God found me. He found me out. And he grabbed a hold of me. And I bring nothing to the table in that regard. I did not seek after him. I did not find him. He found me. And drew me to himself. And I wonder if for many of you that is not the story that you remember. The day in which God found you. In the song Amazing Grace rings in your ear. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. 
So it is not our own works. It is not our own merit. It is not our own pursuit that brings us before God and gives us a right standing in His presence. No. We bring nothing to the table. No matter how impressive, no matter uh, how uh, uh, effortful we are in pursuit of the right thing, if we approach God on the basis of our works, we will not receive it. We will not have it. And so we come to the recognition that really what Paul is saying here, the, re- the reason why the Jews did not receive it is because they, they pursued it in all the wrong way. And the, the reason why the Gentiles did receive it is because they did receive it by faith. And so I want to emphasize for you that you must receive righteousness in the right way. And that is by faith alone in Christ alone. You must receive righteousness in the right way. By faith alone in Christ alone. Please hear that word. You must receive righteousness. Again, you're thinking, no, I must pay my bills, and I must mow my lawn, and I must go to work, and I must pay taxes, and I must die. There's so many pressing things in the the nine to five of everyday existence that we say we have to do. And please, don't abdicate those responsibilities and just blow it off, okay? Call of duty can wait, okay? Like, handle your business. But understand this, in the midst of all those temporal concerns that have their meaning in their proper context, it is so easy for us to be distracted away from the most pressing concern that we have as human beings. We need righteousness, lest we die in our sins, lest we are judged when we stand before God. We need righteousness. So that's why we're here this morning, to be reminded of those things. Be reminded of the thing that most matters, that has, that has the most pressing concern for us. The righteousness of God. You need it. Your greatest need and concern is a right standing with God. Period. So where are you in relationship to God? Where does your confidence lie? In what way will you approach him? Now and forevermore. In what way? Because the way matters. Do you intend to bring your merit and your works to the table? Do you hope to impress God with your spiritual resume? You must receive righteousness in the right way. You see that final verse. It's a clarifying verse. It's a reassuring verse. It's a hopeful verse. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In the world of sports, is there a more shameful thing than sprinting down a track and tripping over the hurdle? in front of the crowd. That's a, that's a shameful moment. It's like going up for a layup and dribbling it out of bounds and you're wide, wide open. I've been there. Everyone's like, right? It's a shameful thing. 
But the text says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a call to faith. It's a call to trust. Not just mental assent. Not just, yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. Anyway. When we talk about faith biblically, we're not talking about the head nod of agreement that that is true. Yeah, two plus two equals four. That's not what we're talking about. It's not believing something about God. It's believing God. It's about knowing God. Being in union with Christ. Vitally. Personally. Greg Gilbert says, it's reliance. All of you, reliant on all of his work. For all time. It's comprehensive. It's total. It's not a part of your life. It's not a part of your existence. It defines your life. Total, comprehensive, personal, union, trust, reliance, dependence upon Christ and his righteousness and his work. That's what the scriptures talk about. Not just checking that box on the census form. Evangelical. Next. That's not faith. Please, that's not faith. Don't, don't, don't put your, your faith in the category of simple census statistics. Please, it's about union with Christ. It's about relationship with God. On the basis of his merit and his work that you fully rely upon for all time. I love what the, the confession says. Calls faith receiving and resting upon Christ in his righteousness. That's faith. Receiving, right? Faith is the way you receive. Some would say, well, well, faith is just another work. Uh-uh-uh. Faith is not a work. Faith is a receiving. It's a, it's a means by which we receive a work completed for us. So, faith is receiving and then resting. Man, the joy of rest, amen? This is to be a joyful thing. We can receive and rest. It's over. It's finished. It's done. I don't have to bring anything to the table. It's done for me completely. Done. Resting upon Christ and His righteousness. Faith alone. In Christ alone. That's the right way to receive righteousness before God. You must trust in Christ. You must fully depend upon Christ. Or you have no assurance before God. No righteousness in His presence. We think of the implications of that. This faith alone, in Christ alone confronts the assumption of good people in our day who subtract faith from works. I just be a good person. I hear that all the time. I'm sure you do too. When people think about eternity and they think about the days after this life, they always find assurance in saying, well, I'm a, 
good person. I love my family. I, I, I work a job. I pay taxes. That assurance comes from just being nice and doing the right thing. So many people live in accordance with that assurance. But understand this. If we subtract faith in Christ from this equation, we stumble. And that's what people do. It it doesn't matter what you believe in. The object of your faith is inconsequential. You just have to do good works and believe in something. I think it confronts that assumption. If you're here today and you live your life just looking around and saying, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. And I didn't do that thing. You see what that dude did on the news? That guy's jacked up, man. I feel good about myself, right? Tell me people in our world today don't live that way. Live in the hope and the assurance that God will accept them on the basis of them being a good person, whoever this God is. But our righteousness is not relative to other people around us. God's not measuring us on the basis of the guy we read in the paper. He's measuring us in comparison to his righteousness. And so we need his. Christ's. Not just anything. But Christ's righteousness is the only righteousness that God will accept. And therefore the only righteousness that we must place our reliance upon and in. So trust in Christ. Don't subtract faith in him Just leave works there. It will lead you to a place of stumbling and shame. I think it also contrasts with the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. It does not subtract faith, but it does add works. The the core issue of the Reformation really is wrapped up in one word. Alone. Right? Christ alone. Faith alone. Yeah, Christ, Roman Catholicism is all in on Christ. All in on faith. But they add works to it. They add merit to it. Nope. Nope. If we approach God by adding any merit of our own, we stumble. End of story. Is faith alone in Christ alone. So don't come with your faith and also some, some, uh, 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 some assurance that your works also play into that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? But don't believe for one minute that that salvation comes from your works. It does not. Amen? That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And so we're left with whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What assurance we have. Whoever, whoever believes in him. I mean, that just just blows open the expectations. It was all for the Jews. It was, we are the people of God. And what the text is saying is, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. No matter where we come from, no matter what economic status, no matter what race, no matter what language, no matter what gender, No matter how far our sin has taken us, no matter how grotesque our pride, no matter how awful our lusts, no matter how deep and embedded we are in idolatry, guess what? If we come to Jesus by faith and receive his righteousness, 
we will not be put to shame. <laughs> That's the gospel. Whoever comes, I won't cast out. Whosoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Whoever. So if you're here today and you think that God would never accept me, God would never grant me the gift of righteousness, think again. There's no sin you've committed that is out of the reach of the divine mercy that God gives in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. There's nothing you can do that can match his love and his salvation and his freely offered forgiveness. He is sufficient. He is enough. So whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Such hope, such assurance that if you're trusting in him and still wrestling with the flesh and struggling in sins, you feel like I can't get over this. It just keeps coming back time and time again. Man, maybe God, maybe God doesn't accept me. Understand this, that if you truly and sincerely have trusted in Christ and relied upon him, no matter what you're wrestling with today, and this is not a license to keep doing it, but it is assurance that, that, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and you will not be put to shame. So don't let the enemy drag you into the dust of the earth and make you feel the overwhelming sense of guilt before him. You are free and forgiven, and you will not be put to shame. Because the righteousness you have received is Christ's by faith. Amen? So good. Turn on Fox later and see if you hear this, CNN. I mean, I take your pick, you know? Falcons score again. Bad news. Falcons score again. Bad news. This is good news. Unlike any other news. We praise God for it. So you must receive righteousness in the right way. By faith alone in Christ alone. John 14, 6. What's that verse? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, it was sobering to read that verse around Hendricks Chapel yesterday at a wedding up at SU. And I thought if they only knew, with all the different colored symbols and flags all over the place, if they only knew, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So trust in Christ. Did I say it again? Trust in Christ. So we're back to the original question. Why is anyone lost? They're lost because they do not have faith alone in Christ alone. And you say, hold up. We just spent 25 verses Emphasizing God's sovereignty and election. Hold up. You're confusing me, bro. I think that's an important question as we consider the answer. We had this emphasis on the sovereignty of God and salvation over the last month, rightly so. The sovereignty of God in no way negates or abdicates human responsibility. 
We have to wrestle with that. Election is unconditional. Write that down. Election is unconditional. But justification is not. It's conditioned by faith, on faith. And justification is the issue as it relates to righteousness. Okay? So we must hold dear to the sovereignty of God in election, and we must hold dear to the necessity of faith and the human responsibility that comes with that. No one is abdicating or shoving that aside. These are two truths that we hold tight in tension. In our minds, we can't, we want to figure it all out in the mystery of God. How does this all fit? And what's first and what's second? What's primary? What's secondary? Saying this that God shows mercy to whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills, so that his purpose of election might stand. And you must believe in Christ to be justified, to receive righteousness. You must believe. There's no one coming to Christ who's not been receiving mercy from God. There's no one receiving mercy from God that will not come to Christ. But nonetheless, we hold these two truths in tension. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. And I'm going to end with this simple quote from Charles Simeon. That was really helpful. He was a pastor during the Industrial Revolution. So he was into gears and wheels, I guess. So listen to this. What is it, steampunk now? Yeah, it's steampunk now, right? Yeah, anyway. I don't know anything about that. I'm getting old. That's too old for my oldness. Listen to what Simeon says. As wheels in a complicated machine may move in opposite directions... Right? Opposite directions. And yet subserve a common end, so may truths apparently opposite be perfectly reconcilable with each other. And equally subserve the purposes of God in the accomplishment of man's salvation. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility, working together. The mercy of God to save whom he will. The responsibility of humans to respond to repentance and faith. Let's not pick one, eh? Let's not pick one. Let's hold dear to both. You must receive righteousness in the right way. Faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Oh, God and Father, uh, praise you before you have done it all. You've done it all in Christ. You saw our need. did not leave us alone in the depths of our sin. You picked us up. And you set our feet on a rock. You saved us, not on the basis of deeds, but on the basis of your mercy the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You saved us. 
You've given us righteousness. We've received it by faith. If there's anyone here today that needs to confess their pride, to see their works for what they really are, filthy rags, I pray that today, even now, your spirit would warm in them faith, dependence, and reliance upon your finished work and your finished work alone. And give them the hope that because of that faith, they will not trip. They will not be put to shame. And you will receive them in the fullness of acceptance and glory in your coming kingdom. For that we praise you. 